Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Favor. Listeners, is Pastor Jonathan Mason. Welcome back to the pastor's office. It is Sunday afternoon, January the 22nd. Can you believe that January is almost over? I feel like last week we were at watch night. Time waits for no one. And I think that's important for all of us to embrace We've got to make the most of the time that we have on God's great creation. Listen, we had an awesome service this morning uh, at Northeast Baptist Church. I preached from Psalm 73, and the title of the message was, I Found Just What I Needed at the Church. I'm sharing that with you because As I communicate with pastors across the city and across the nation, I realize that church attendance uh, has become a challenge for a lot of churches. And we're all in this struggle together to evangelize and win souls for Christ. But as we work to do that, I want everybody to remember that there's a blessing in corporate worship. There is a blessing in us coming together and giving God praise, being in the presence of like-minded people who know what God has done in their life and what a blessing it is to have Jesus as their Savior. I know a lot of us have gotten used to watching church on Facebook, fast-forwarding to the good parts, and not tithing or giving an offering. But we cannot forsake the assembling of the saints. So I want to encourage you today, if you've been a faithful member of Bedside Baptist, or if as a result of the pandemic, you've become a member of CME, Christmas, Mother's Day, and Easter attendance at church, I I want to encourage you to make your way back to your church. Make your way back to church. Find a church where you can worship, where you can experience the presence of the Lord. I promise you, you won't regret it. We need to come together as the body of Christ because our mission is to win souls. So again, let's get focused. Let's start rebuilding our sanctuaries. Let's start filling in some of those empty seats Let's start coming to church and worshiping one with the other. Hey, listen, we've got a great show for you today. Uh, We've got the superintendent of the Philadelphia School District, uh, Mr. Tony Watlington, uh, who will be here with us to discuss his plans for Philadelphia and for the 200,000 young people uh, that attend school here. 
So sit back, relax, but as always, engage. And we'll be right back after these commercial messages with the superintendent of the Philadelphia School District, Tony Wadlington. Hey, Philly's favorite listeners, welcome back to the pastor's office. I promised you a great show, and so we're going to get moving. Uh, I want to welcome for the first time uh, into the pastor's office a young man who is, uh, he has New Jersey roots, but he grew up in Harnett County, North Carolina. Uh, he went to school at North Carolina A&T, and, and I'm not holding that against him. Uh, there have to be other HBCUs other than Norfolk State University. So we're not holding that against him, but he's a North Carolina A&T Aggie, got advanced degrees at the University of North Carolina, has an extensive career, which we will allow him to share with you, uh, in the field of education, and he is now in month seven as the superintendent of the Philadelphia School District, the eighth largest school district in these United States with over 200,000 students. He has a heavy job, y'all. He has a heavy job, but we're thankful that he's come on board to talk to us this afternoon. Mr. Tony Watlington, superintendent of Philadelphia Schools, come on into the pastor's office, sir. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing well, Pastor. Uh, thank you for allowing me to join you this afternoon. And, uh, uh, let me just say, uh, as an Aggie, we think that Norfolk State is a very fine university. All right, as, all as right. North Carolina A&T Aggie. All right. Well, listen, we, we, we thank you for that, and, and, and I'm, I'm sorry that the Sigmas didn't get a hold of you uh, while you were at <laughs> North Carolina A&T, but there's still hope. Uh, there's still hope. But, sir, listen. I'm just 06. Oh, you're okay. All right. So you're an alpha man. Yes, sir. Very, very proud Alpha Man. All right, all right. Well, listen, you all came first, so we've got mad respect for you. But thank you for joining us today. Uh, we appreciate you coming into the pastor's office. Uh, we had the opportunity uh, last year to talk to Superintendent Height uh, about his plans coming out of uh, the pandemic. Uh, and now we're very excited to talk to you about the plans that you have. Uh, just to set this up for some of our listeners who may not know you or may want some more background on you, uh, I did give a brief bio, but just tell us a little bit about your career in education. Well, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, I got into education. I decided to major in uh, economics originally at North Carolina A&T State University, but changed my major to history in part because of a teacher in middle school who gave me a, a history award at the end of the year. And I was always interested in history because I didn't have a lot of books in my home, but my mother bought a set of world book encyclopedias. So I read them cover to cover and just kind of got interested in politics and government and history and uh, went to A&T and then left and spent a little time at Ohio State University, the Ohio State University to get a graduate degree in American political history. Came back to North Carolina, taught for a few years and I uh, became a principal, uh, uh, went to graduate school again at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And so I spent time uh, doing lots of jobs from bus driver to custodian to teacher, had the good fortune and was blessed to be teacher of the year in uh, Guilford County, North Carolina, third largest district in the state of North School District in the state, and went on to serve in various central uh, a principal of three different schools at the elementary and high school level and uh, served as a regional superintendent, chief of strategic planning, chief of schools, a regional superintendent. And before I left North Carolina, I was a superintendent in Rowan Salisbury Schools, 
which is the state's only renewal school district. There are 115 school districts in the state, and the state voted to give one district in the state a waiver from state rules to see if they could get better fat. That district could get better faster than the other 114. And we had a lot of success in improving our third grade literacy ranking in the state. And so fast forward and uh, uh, was very pleased to come join the Board of Education here in the School District of Philadelphia. Well, you you made a move from uh, North Carolina to Philadelphia. Uh, what what inspired the, the 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 jump? I know you took the position as superintendent in Ro- of yeah. Rowan uh, in 2021, and then you came yeah. here June of 2022. Was it the opportunity to have an impact on the, on this inner city school district? Uh, talk to us about that. Oh, absolutely. You know, when I went to Rowan Salisbury Schools, and you look at my career, I'm not one that jumps around from job to job. Mm-hmm. I worked in the Guilford County School District for uh, well over two decades, and uh, it's the third largest district in the the state, from teacher to chief of schools, and second in command of the district. Plan to fully work the term of my contract uh, in the at the Rowan Salisbury School District, and uh, there were some individuals who uh, reached out and said, "You ought to really consider." Uh, the school district of Philadelphia as a a great opportunity, and it caught my attention for a couple of reasons. One, this is a very historic city. I'm fascinated by the fact that democracy essentially started here in Philadelphia with the signing of the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution, and uh, I I was aware that, that the Capitol was here while Washington was under construction for a while. That's one area. Second area, I knew that Philadelphia was a national model for improving its finances. There's a lot of large urban school districts that are cash-strapped, poor credit rating, and they are have been taken over uh, by the state. And I was fascinated by the work that was done here to improve the financial health of the school district of Philadelphia and to get this district back under local control of a local school board. I had followed that for many years just as a historian. And then third, I really think the Board of Education was on to something when it developed these goals and guardrails and said, listen, we're going to commit ourselves to taking the eighth largest school district in the country, and we're going to get better as a result of these goals and guardrails. And I noticed that in the school board meetings here, they focused heavily on looking at the data every school board meeting, and to really focus in on how do we get better, particularly for black and brown children. And that really, really, really appealed to me. And uh, I would not have left North Carolina, certainly the district I was in, to go anywhere else. Uh, There was a uh, superintendent search in Los Angeles and Chicago and uh, Miami, some other large districts. Had no interest, but there was something special about Philadelphia uh, that made me say, well, I'll raise my hand and see what happens. I'm sure it'll have to be here. Absolutely. Well, you know what? Earlier this month, uh, your transition team uh, presented a 32-page report basically detailing 91 short and long-term recommendations for the school district. Uh, There were two terms used uh, in the report that were – Uh, That intrigued me, and I wanted you to give some color and context to them. Uh, One is that the the school district lacked a theory of action, 
And then the other is that your administration, your team will practice strategic abandonment. Can you give us some context to that? Uh, Yes, I sure will. Uh, Let's start with the theory of action. Uh, A theory of action just essentially is a a, uh, fancy way to say, if we do this, then we will accomplish that. So let's say we want to accomplish more children being able to read on grade level, or if we want to accomplish more students graduating from high school. Now, the third grade, uh, about a third of our students, just sort of a third of our students read at grade level as measured by a PSSA test in in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. What specifically do we need to do to increase that number from about a third to more than two-thirds or more? About 70% of our students graduate in four years in the school district of Philadelphia. It has increased over the years to 70%. If we want to get much higher than that, a theory of action would say, if we do blank, then we will accomplish blank. You have to be really, really crystal clear in any organization with a theory of action because once you're clear about what are the specific things we need to do, it has a way of focusing the organization. Now, if I ask 100 people, what do you think we need to do to be able to accomplish more kids to read at grade level, more kids to graduate in four years, to raise student achievement, we can't do 100 or 200 different things well. So the theory of action helps us to focus in, and for everyone who works in the organization, all 19,000 employees, for all of our parents to be really clear, for all 120,000 students that are in the traditional public schools here, uh, to know these are the things that we are going to focus on and have a laser focus. We will focus on focus on these things so that reading performance will improve, four-year graduation rates will improve, student achievement will improve. And that's why it's so important to have a clear theory of action. It's something that we're working on now as we develop our strategic plan. Okay. In terms of the second uh, item, Pastor, related to strategic abandonment, we're a large school district. You referenced to the eighth lot, the point about the eighth largest school district in the country. And so uh, we have to do a lot of things with 216 schools that are under my supervision. And um, we have a budget in excess of $4 million. Now, we have to really dig deep to say, what are the things that we spend money on? What are the things that we currently do? What are the strategies that we are currently using that are working, and how do we know? What is the specific evidence? What's the specific data that tells us that these investments work? And on the other side of that nickel pastor, we have to ask ourselves the question, what doesn't work? Or we don't have evidence to show that we're getting a return on our investment. And then we have to have a specific way to stop doing those things and to do something different. 
if certain investments or strategies are not helping us to improve reading for poor black and brown children, we need to stop doing it and absolutely do something different and better that's based on research and and evidence. That's what the strategic abandonment tool means. You're listening to Philly's Favorite 100.7 FM, and we are talking to the new superintendent of the Philadelphia School District, uh, Mr. Tony Watlington, here this afternoon. Uh, uh, Sir, I had an opportunity to, as I shared with you, read your report uh, from the transition team. There was something that was eye-opening to me. Let me me kind of frame it first. One of the things I'm proudest of as pastor of the Northeast Baptist Church in the Frankfurt section of Philadelphia is we have a lot of young people that attend this church. a lot of young people. As a matter of fact, uh, last Sunday was our youth Sunday. We had, we had over 30 children singing in the choir and children out in the congregation enjoying worship. But here's what struck me when I looked at your report. More, Almost four in 10 of them, based on the statistics that I read, are not at reading level. One in five are not proficient in math. If I just Take my group and, and and then just, you know, look at the, the macro, the, the whole city. That's eye-opening. That That's a reality check, at least for me as a parent of, of young men. It, it leads me to ask, is there a deficiency in the instruction of these young people or is there no enforcement at home? What, what, are the, what would cause us to have those type of numbers? I think there are several things that impact underperformance for a lot of our children. Uh, And they include multiple factors that we have to get better at. And I'm not saying the first one. I'm just going to say one of those factors is we must build stronger home and school partnerships where teachers and parents, teachers, principals, school staff, and parents and community members are having an ongoing two-way conversation. That's why I spent so much time in my listening and learning tour to really hear lots of information from lots of people about how well they, what they think we're doing well, what they think we're not doing well, and kind of how do we build bridges and partnerships so we can work together as equal partners. That's one piece of that. A second piece of that is The research in this country tells us over 50 years that the most significant factor in whether students improve academically is not your race and ethnicity, it's not how much money you have or don't have, it's about do you have access to highly qualified, stable teachers who are supported over time? That's the number one factor in the research. The number two factor is highly qualified, stable, well-supported school principals and leaders over time. Now, so we've got to make sure that all of our students have access to that. There are some schools, particularly poorer schools and underperforming schools, that don't have stable, high-quality teaching faculties over time. Even if I'm a high quality, highly qualified teacher and I'm there for a year and I'm gone, kids don't get the benefit of that. They need at least three years of high quality, stable teachers over time 
that factor gets compounded by this phenomenon here. You know, in the United States, the number of people going into teaching at the four-year colleges and universities where the public or private is down by 50% over the past few years. In the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, that number is down by 66%. And I'll tell you why I think that's the case. There was a time in this country where there were two groups of people who were just revered by everybody. Looked up to, respected. They were teachers. And in the South, they were preachers. That's right. I can say that. I know that to be true. And and, and and we just don't have that same level of support for educate public education, our teachers, and we've got to do a better job wrapping our arms around them to let them know they're appreciated. Because if the pipeline is drying up, I couldn't fill every teaching position in the school district of Philadelphia when I came aboard. And Dr. Height, my predecessor, worked on that really hard. I'm not, it's not a blame game. It's the issue of we have to say that education is super important and we've got to fix the pipelines that are drying up with teaching. Now, so after we attend to making sure that we recruit and retain our teachers and principals who are highly qualified, after we build those strong partnerships with homes and schools, parents and schools, we've got to also make sure that we are providing really rigorous, grade-level, good teaching and learning in every school every day. Now, uh, I know we can do it because I worked in a state in a school district that was ranked number 96 out of 115 school districts in third-grade performance. We moved from number 96 to number 74 in a relatively short time. And had I stayed there, we would continue to climb the ladder because we know the importance of teachers and principals being recruited and retained. We know the importance of building strong home and school partnerships. And then we know the importance of making sure that we have really, really, really good, strong teaching and learning in every school every day. Now, I'm oversimplifying it, Pastor, because there are a lot of other factors that sure. uh, play, come into play. But those are three core pieces that we're taking a hard look at as we develop our five-year strategic plan, which we hope to, which we will complete before May. And we have limited time with you today. Uh, I did promise your team would get you off at a certain amount of time. I'd love to dig more into that particular topic of teachers at another time, though. And, one, and the reason I say that, you spoke very eloquently about retention, you know, but there's a recruitment issue, too, of just new teachers coming up in the pipeline. Um, <laughs> I'm a... I'm, I'm a uh, I'm a visiting professor at my alma mater, Norfolk State, and when I talk to young people in my graduate level class, uh, you know, if they've not yet decided what they want to do, and, and, and notice I said graduate level class and they haven't decided what they want to do, I've talked to several who said, well, I guess I'll just get into teaching. You know, teaching has to be a passion. You've you, you got to be passionate about dealing with our next generation of leaders. And I tend to believe that we got to start emphasizing the importance of teaching to the kids that are in school now so that some of our best and brightest and not just those that have no direction would then want to find Absolutely. their way into teaching. Yeah. <laughs> I, know, I, know, I, I know we're limited, but gosh, that's, just, that's a topic unto itself. Um, a couple months ago, uh, actually, at the end of the last school year, uh, some of my young people were on the train coming home from school, uh, and a shooting broke out 
uh, on the train with other students on the way home from school. We hear reports constantly about guns being found in our schools, about violence on our, on our playgrounds. Violence in our schools, keeping our children safe. I mean, I went to school in the 70s and the 80s. I didn't have to worry about that. I walked to school with no problem, walked home with no problem. If there was violence, it was because I got into a fight with some of my classmates, uh, and that was fisticuffs. How do we keep our children safe in 2023? Well, uh, I know you said we have limited time, so I'm going to answer this very quickly straight away. I believe schools are among the safest places in Philadelphia and the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Most of our kids behave appropriately, and it's very unfortunate that a minority of students make some bad choices that impact all children and families. Now, how do we keep them safe? There are a couple of things we're focusing on very heavily, and we've added additional financial resources. First, we are increasing our investments in Safe Paths, our Safe Paths program under the leadership of our Chief of Safety, Kevin Bethel. Uh, that essentially means that we're paying people in communities to help watch over young people as they go to and from school in the morning and afternoons. And we've provided an additional $750,000 or so to support that effort. And uh, we also in, are investing more dollars into safety zones. Now, safety zones are where we, in some school communities that have an uptick in violence, particularly gun violence, We've added another $600,000 investment due to some grants that we were able to get to provide more uh, sworn, uniformed law enforcement in and around school communities because we've learned that in some communities it's not good enough to have that presence just right there at the school when kids get out of school. But within a certain mile radius of the campus, we think it's important uh, to have more uniformed law enforcement presence there. Is it a long-term solution? No, but I will tell you it, it helps. We're looking at the data and we know that it helps. Uh, and I'll tell you, we, we, I think we absolutely have to work together with the city and our community and grassroots organizations because we must win this war on school violence and inside of schools in terms of behaviors that are not gun violence but might involve you know, you said you, you fist to whatever you referred to, Pastor. How did you say that? Fist to cuffs. Fist to cuffs. Fist to cuffs. There you go. Yes, you know, we're, we're working on that, too. We know sometimes young folks are not going to always agree, but we're, we're working hard to uh, help our students make good choices because we want schools to also be places where everybody feels safe. Kids don't have to feel like they've been bullied. There's some behaviors just we, we just can't tolerate inside of school buildings either. So, uh, And we're also looking at, helping to build real positive relationships. At the end of the day, my grandmother used to say the idle mind is a devil's workshop. So if we're teaching kids at high levels and keeping them engaged, they got less time for some of the other stuff. You know what? You, you, it's ironic you spoke about grandmothers because my grandmother used to say that you spend your money where your love is and where your priority is. So that leads me to my last question. Budget. Funding. For the school system, one of the things we we recognized during the pandemic, going into and coming out of it really, is the age of these buildings that our young people are learning in, the challenges that are faced in these buildings. Uh, I'll never forget riding down Cotman Avenue during the summer around 11, 30, 12 o'clock. 
uh, and I saw all the school children out of school. And I, I was I was asking the person with me, is this a vacation day for the kids? What's going on? And, and the response was, well, no, they're being let out because they don't have air conditioning in the building. So there are a lot of issues. Is Harrisburg showing their love for the Philadelphia School District? Is the funding where it needs to be for you to be able to implement your plan of action? You know, Pastor, one of the first, uh, one of my first visits visits to Harrisburg, uh, even before I became superintendent, I had the good fortune to go meet with the uh, Senate Minority Leader, uh, Senator Vincent Hughes, and got a good crash course on what the state's doing to kind of support the school district, in part because of the local legislative delegation and the hard work they're doing to fight for Philadelphia. I can tell you that uh, we've got some champions who are working hard for us. Uh, I think our previous governor, Wolf, made some really fine steps to try to support us. I'm very excited about what our new governor, Josh Shapiro, will do to support the school district. Uh, I know our delegation will continue to advocate for us you know, one of the things I also noticed is that this is one of the oldest cities in the country, and the age of the school buildings are much older than other parts of the country, uh, certainly than in some parts of the South. With our, I think our average building is, is 70 years old or so, and uh, many of them uh, have significant issues in terms of being this being a historically underfunded uh, school district. And you're right. We have a good number of schools that we have to close when the temperature is in excess of 90 degrees. And I can tell you the two districts I worked in North Carolina, I closed zero schools on hot weather days. Mm -hmm. And I did not work in Rockefeller-rich school districts either. Right. Um, And so in 2023, we really should not have to close that many schools because we don't have adequate air conditioning in the schools. Uh, but we installed 538 air conditioners last summer. We're going to keep chipping away at this problem until we get the uh, schools where they need to be, and it will take uh, lots of uh, help. And so we want our community to continue to believe us in us and push us and, and the policymakers to do what we need to do to do the right thing by the children of the School District of Philadelphia. Superintendent of the Philadelphia School District, Mr. Tony Watlington, we want to thank you for joining us in the pastor's office this afternoon. Uh, You've got a large job ahead of you, and I want you to know that this station that reaches gospel believers, we're going to be praying for you as you continue to do this work. And if we can ever be a blessing to you, if you need these airwaves, we're here for you, sir. But all God's best to you as you take on this monumental task of helping our young people. God bless you, sir. God bless you, and thank you, too, Pastor. And I'd love to come visit your church if you'll extend an invitation. I'd love to come on one of the youth Sundays. I will get that information out to your team, and we would love to have you. Thank you so much. About the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Faber. Yeah.